So it's been a season of first to this point. You got the first game of the season, the first game of the Brent Venables era. That was against UTEP. You got your first game under the lights, the new LED lights. That was the second game against Kent State. Then you got uh, Dylan Gabriel's first game on the road in a Sooner uniform last weekend in Nebraska. Now we got the first conference game of the season coming up with Kansas State visiting Norman on Saturday night at 7 p.m. kickoff. We're going to give you lots of thoughts on that game. We've got a couple of true or false questions that we're going to throw in there. We're going to give you three keys. We're going to tell you what's been working and what hasn't been working for the Kansas State Wildcats. But before we jump into all of that, I mean, you just got to the, the story this week has tried, tried to be bedlam and he, Oklahoma State. With the weekend off, they're not playing anybody. They got the their bye week after the three the first three weeks of the season. But yet yeah, they're trying to get into the headlines and they have succeeded in getting into the headlines thanks to the announcement on Wednesday that Bedlam is officially dead. Now we we knew everybody knew this was coming. This has been coming since July of 2021. This wasn't some shocking announcement. This wasn't some sort of Pull it out of left field. Oh my gosh, how did that happen? I can't believe we're to this point type announcement. This is confirming what we already knew. And what we already knew was that in this new model of football that Oklahoma's about to go into with the SEC and with the new model that Oklahoma State is ultimately going to end up in and whatever's left of the Big 12. By the way, I'm on record saying that I think the Big 12 is going to be fun. I, I think the Big 12 is still going to be a fun conference. But that said, we all knew Bedlam wasn't going to work. Oklahoma State had already said, you, you go back to last July, you go back to last November, Oklahoma State had already said, yes, yeah, sorry, this doesn't work for us. You hurt our feelings and you left. Now that the announcement comes back out, and yes, I'm biased. Yes, I crimson and cream glasses. I have all of that going for me. But it's kind of like the finale of it, the finality of it hits. And you know there's the various stages of grief, right? And I think Oklahoma State is in that anger stage of grief right now. Where they're like, oh my gosh, we're we're literally losing millions of dollars over this deal. This is really happening. And, and the truth is, this is kind of a bad look for Oklahoma State. Now I know, I know Oklahoma State fans who might listen to the Sooner Nation podcast. Probably there are none, but if one were to listen, they're going to be, no, 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 oh, you left. They went to the SEC. They didn't ask us for permission. They left. The okay, you know what? Nobody, nobody on the Oklahoma side of this discussion has said Oklahoma didn't make the decision to leave the SEC. 
nobody on the Oklahoma side of the discussion has said we should have consulted Oklahoma State. No, nobody on the Oklahoma side of the discussion has denied that this was all about money for OU. And so everything, everything, literally everything that Oklahoma State is blaming Oklahoma for, literally everything, Oklahoma's like, yeah, yeah, we, we didn't care about Bedlam. When, when we compared Bedlam to money, we thought, yeah, money's more important. Yeah, we, we, didn't, we didn't ask Oklahoma State's permission. We didn't even ask their opinion. We didn't ask them what they thought about. And, and how, I mean, how arrogant do you have to be to be the smaller university, not a, not a knock, not a slide, not a slam, just the truth. To be the smaller university in the state and to say, man, you guys didn't even ask us before you did this. Seriously? Why? Why would, boy, they did this in the dark. I'm sorry. You weren't invited to the party. I'm sorry. Your brand is not as recognizable. I'm sorry your team isn't as competitive. That doesn't mean we can't go to the party. That doesn't mean we can't dance. That doesn't mean we can't turn a profit. And if that comes, if that comes at the expense of Oklahoma State, then so be it. No, no one from Oklahoma is denying any of this. The only thing, and it's truth. I mean, you, there, there, there are records, right? Twitter can get deleted, but there are screenshots. Everyone's got a microphone. Everyone's got a camera these days. It's all out there. The only thing that Oklahoma has said, be it a coach, be it administrator, or be it a fan, the only thing that they've said, is that Oklahoma State was the first to say Bedlam's over. They were so upset. They were so petty. They were so angry. They were the first ones to say Bedlam's over. And that that's all. And everybody, everybody in orange and black seems to have forgotten this. Everybody in orange and black seems to have forgotten that it was Oklahoma State who called this off. Now, now listen to Mike Gundy. I, I've got a sound clip. We've never done this before that I'm aware of on the Sooner Nation podcast. But we're going to play a sound clip of Mike Gundy. Now, I, I want you to listen. He's He's got, if you've seen the video, it's out there on Twitter. He's got notes, right? He's got a little piece of paper and he's got all his thoughts. L- listen to what he says. OU's officials were in negotiations with the SEC for months and months before anybody in this league or the conference knew about it. No objections? During those multi-billion dollar conversations, I wonder if Bedlam was ever brought up at that point instead of the money. 
Bedlam is history. We all know that. If we've known that, because OU chose to follow Texas and the money to the SEC, it's okay. Is that a fact? So now we're having what I think are childish discussions, in my opinion. Okay, over something that's done, and I would like to like make this the last statement I have because I have no hard feelings. But what's going on now is is almost a situation with a husband and a wife or a girlfriend and a boyfriend. When you know you're dead wrong and you try to turn the table and make them think they're wrong, when Oklahoma State has no part in this, we didn't have anything to do with their negotiations with the SEC. We didn't have any choice on choosing to leave the conference. They did. So everybody needs to get over it and move on and quit trying to turn the tables. It's somewhat comical that they still want to bring us into this equation. I want somebody here to give me one example of what Oklahoma State had to do with this. I'm listening, really, and this is like, I'm not the head coach, I'm just a guy on the street. I, I just want somebody to tell me what one thing that myself, Chad Weiber, or Dr. Shrum, or our regions had to do with any of this going on. So let's not turn the tables. Let's just say, hey, look, we chose to follow Texas and take the money, and we're going to the SEC. It's all good. Now let's quit talking about it, and let's talk about football. That's the way I feel. No hard feelings. And I like Joe C., but it is what it is, right? we we got to quit beating around the bush. Okay, so clear, clearly Mike Gundy has thought this through, right? Clearly he's thought about this because he's got his, his, his notes out in front of him as he's saying this. But even he admits it is a multi-billion dollar decision. He says multi, as Oklahoma was engaging in multi-billion dollar negotiations, they didn't include us on those negotiations. They didn't ask us about those negotiations. They didn't want our opinion on those negotiations. As Oklahoma was involved in multi-billion dollar, with a B, multi-billion dollar negotiations. They didn't tell anybody about it. Okay, so your feelings are hurt, right, Mike? Because that's that's what you sound like. He he says these are childish discussions that we're having. Okay, well then stop talking about it. Because I don't remember I don't remember anybody saying, I mean, did Joe Castiglione, did Bob Stoops at the time Lincoln Riley? I mean, any player, did anybody say, hey, um, so Oklahoma is moving from the Big 12 to the SEC, and we would really like to know Oklahoma State's opinion on this. Did anybody say that? Because I'm thinking no. I'm thinking it didn't happen. But yeah, here's Mike Gundy sounding off. And here's Mike Gundy talking about these childish discussions that we're having. Well, dude, if you don't like it, stop talking about it. He, he compares it to like a a, um, a a husband and a wife, you know, and then he says like Oklahoma State, you know, a husband and wife trying to blame each other for the argument. No, no, that's not even close. That's not relatable. And then he says OSU has no part in this. And you're, you're right. OSU had no part in Oklahoma going to the SEC. No part at all. And I think that's what they're upset about. They didn't get invited to the SEC. 
they weren't asked about Oklahoma going to the SEC, and there lies the rub. And he's like, everybody just needs to get over it. And and at that point, I I kind of think, I kind of think, I'm, I'm, my thought process is he's talking to the Oklahoma State fan base. He's talking to the Oklahoma State alumni. He's talking to the Oklahoma State administration and the athletic programs. That's where I think he was going. Then he says, well, it's somewhat comical that they still want to bring us in on this and on the occasion. Look, Mike, here's the deal. Your president brought you in on this. They brought you into this conversation. Oklahoma never invited you into this conversation. Your president, Casey Shrum, she put Oklahoma State into this conversation when she had her epic Twitter meltdown July 2021. She's the one who brought you into this. She's the one who said all these crazy outlandish things. She's the one who hinted that Bedlam was over. And that's why people are asking you about it, Mike. Not because Joe Castiglione said, I really wonder what Mike Gundy thinks about this. Not not because Brent Venable said, hey, have we asked the people up in Stillwater their opinion? Nope. Nope. Had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with Casey Strum. You remember what she said? She said, I'm I'm disappointed in the lack of engagement and transparency from Oklahoma over the past months on a matter with serious ramifications for our state. Translated on a matter of serious ramifications for Oklahoma State University. Because up until this point, we thought we were hip and hip with Oklahoma. Up until this point, we thought we were lockstep with them. Up until this point, we thought wherever they went, we got to go too because we ride their coattails to success. And let's not pretend like Bedlam last November has any bearing on this. All right, You won one game. Congratulations, take the win. Don't turn it into a loss, which is exactly what you're doing with all of this nonsense. If you think you're going to be okay, then be okay. Just move on. But they can't stop talking about it. And then they're going to be like, oh, well, Oklahoma thinks this is our fault. Um, yeah, you're the one who said Bedlam's over. Oklahoma's the one who said, well, okay. We'll take our billions of dollars from the SEC and we'll move on. So Spencer Sanders weighs in. Again, a bye week for Oklahoma State. Spencer Sanders, your preseason Big 12 quarterback selection. Your current number one passer in the Big 12. Is he talking about the bye week, what they need to do to improve? Nope. Is he talking about Baylor and the the challenges that they might present on that road trip to Waco? Nope. He's talking about Oklahoma going to the SEC. If they want to go to the SEC, go ahead and go to the SEC, Sanders said in his interview on Wednesday. That's your plan. Now listen to this. We're still going to prepare to win every Big 12 championship every year and try to get into the Final Four. Hey, we don't care that they're going to the SEC. We're focused on winning the Big 12 every year. Well, then talk about winning the Big 12 every year. Don't talk about the SEC. Don't talk about Oklahoma. Because if your focus is on winning the Big 12, 
And you're talking about Oklahoma going to the SEC. It doesn't sound like you're focused very well on winning the Big 12. And by the way, here's my shot at Spencer Sanders. Here's my shot at Oklahoma State as a Sooner fan. How about instead of how about instead of focusing on and preparing on winning every Big 12 championship every year? Let's start with one. Let's start with winning one Big 12 championship game, right? Because that was your chance last year. Best team you ever had, Spencer. You threw four interceptions. Yeah, so let, let's focus on that. Just win that one. And then we can start talking about every year after you win one. But I think it's I, th- I think a safe bet would be they're not winning a Big 12 championship game this year at all. Even though they're pretty good. I mean, they're pretty good. Those words actually, I just thought about those words may come back to bite me. So here, here's what this comes down to. Here's what it comes down to. Oklahoma left the Big 12. Oklahoma State feels like personally Oklahoma left them. So they're talking about Oklahoma and Bedlam and what could have been and what's going to be no more. Guess what Oklahoma's talking about? Yeah, you guessed it. They're talking about the SEC. Listen to Bob Stoops. Bob Stoops was on KREF, local sports talk uh, station uh, here in the Oklahoma City, Norman uh, metro area. He's on with uh, The Rush with Teddy Lehman, Tyler McComas. Yeah, L- listen uh, to what listen you know, to what he so says. Be it. I anticipated it. Um, I think everybody anticipated it. And uh, not everything stays the same. I mean, Nebraska left us a long time ago to go to the Big Ten. And so that, that was another huge rivalry. You know, that gone by the wayside, and or it was every couple years we might play. But in the end, it changed everything. Things change. That's just the, the way of the world, the way life goes. Uh, so be it. Um, I think we're going to have a lot of incredibly big games in our stadium that will make up for that, I would guess. I guess you could just think about some of them. Hey, yeah, Bob's on to something there, isn't he? Yeah, Bob's on to something. Dollar signs, better opponents. Oh, we don't get Oklahoma State every other year, but we do get Alabama and Georgia and LSU. What? We get Arkansas? Ole Miss? Holy cow. Man, we're really going to miss OSU. I mean, that, that, that's, that's kind of like tongue-in-cheek. That's, that's what they're saying. Here's what this comes down to. I'll call it because I know we're going to talk about Kansas State. I promise we are. But here's what this comes down to. Here's what it is. After a 20-minute opening, this is why I only only had two true or false questions this week because I knew I was going to rant on this a little bit. Mike Gundy said it's like a marriage, right? It's like a husband and a wife trying to blame each other for a bad decision. I didn't want that couch. I didn't want that carpet. You picked it out. No, you picked it out, right? That's not at all close. At best, because I don't I don't think you could ever call Bedlam a marriage, okay? It really wasn't a marriage. Bedlam is that dating relationship. It's that dating relationship where one person in the relationship is clearly the catch. Like, all right, you you the other person, you know, what you just say you outkicked your coverage, you married outside of your league, you know, your minor leagues, their major leagues. So one's clearly 
the better of the two in every way. They come from a better family. They got more money. They're more prestige, more name recognition. Whenever they go out to public, they don't say, oh, there's Oklahoma State in Oklahoma. No, 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 no. They say, hey, there's Oklahoma in Oklahoma State, right? So one is clearly better than the other. And the one that's better than the other, they get an opportunity. They get this really, really good opportunity. And they decide they're going to take it. They, they don't ask the other one about it. They don't ask about it. They just say, I'm going to take this opportunity because it's a really, really good opportunity. It benefits me in just about every way possible to be benefited. I'm taking this opportunity. Then the other person in the relationship, the lesser person, if you will, in this relationship says, I can't believe you took that opportunity and you didn't ask me about it. It was never a marriage. It was a dating relationship. And it was fun at times. It was boring a lot of the times. It was really boring a lot of the times, but sometimes it was fun. And they're like, I can't believe you did this. I tell you what, if you if you do that, if you follow through with that decision, we're done. If you follow through with that, we are done. We're over. And then, you know, the catch the better person, the more prestigious person in this relationship says, okay. Well, okay, what? Uh, okay, I'm, I'm taking this opportunity, so I guess we're done. Thanks for the memories. And boom, out the door. Now, in that situation, in that relationship, and listen, we all know, look, you know that relationship. You've either lived that relationship or you have a friend who's lived that relationship, but you know that relationship. And in this situation, the person, the better person, the more prestigious person in that relationship, they walked out the door and they were fine. They had a new date very, very quickly. And that new date was better looking. That new date had more prestige. Everybody's like, oh, look at Oklahoma and the new date. I wonder what's going to happen to Oklahoma State. I wonder what's going to happen to them now that Oklahoma left them. Okay, you see where we are here? And there lies the problem with Oklahoma State. Put out the ultimatum. Hey, listen, I've always said I'm, I'm not a fan of ultimatums because if you put out an ultimatum, you got to be willing to, to face the consequence of and what Oklahoma State learned through this whole process is, well, you're not on the same level as Oklahoma. And your opinion has no value to Oklahoma. And Oklahoma's going to do what Oklahoma wants to do. Oklahoma's going to do what's best for Oklahoma, not what's best for Oklahoma State. It was never in a contract that Oklahoma had to fund Oklahoma State's athletic department. It was never in a contract that Oklahoma had to drag Oklahoma State along with it wherever it went. Whatever success Oklahoma had, Oklahoma State had to share in that. That was never, never part of the deal. But it was always assumed by Oklahoma State it was. And guess what? Oklahoma's moved on. Has found a better date. Oklahoma State's left wondering what could have been. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Oklahoma, Kansas State at home under the lights, 7 p.m. kickoff. Oklahoma, according to ESPN's matchup predictor, 84.3% chance to win this game. Um, the Sooners 3-0 and and the uh, number six in the nation. First conference game for both teams. Kansas State comes to Norman 2-1 and on the season, having lost last week uh, at home to Tulane. And look, Oklahoma fans, man, we can tell you the headaches that Tulane causes uh, on the road early in the season. The Sooners got to experience that firsthand, but uh, they were able to pull it off and Kansas State was not. Uh, this game will be broadcast on Fox. Um, here, here's the thing. This is going to be a little bit of an opposite situation than what we saw last week in Lincoln, Nebraska. Last week, it was Casey Thompson and that Husker offense that was supposed to be the biggest challenge that the Sooner defense had faced to this point in the season. The, 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 the versatility of that offensive ability to be balanced, to run, and to throw. Casey Thompson dangerous in a clean pocket. Casey Thompson has accuracy. And we did. We saw all that for, for one drive, for one Nebraska possession. We saw that. And then it turned into 49 unanswered points for Oklahoma and in a completely dominating game for the Sooners. Now. It's the Kansas State defense. This Kansas State defense is supposed to be the best defense that Oklahoma's offense has faced to this point in the season. And I feel like, you know, we have a sample size of, of three, right? We have three games for Kansas State. We have three games for Oklahoma. The sample size is the same as what we saw with Nebraska. That was Nebraska's fourth game of the season when the Sooners went to Lincoln. This will be Kansas State's fourth game of the season when they come to Norman. So we have an equal sample size, but I kind of feel like you can put more stock into the fact that this Kansas State defense is better than what well, it'll be more of a challenge. It'll, it'll present more of a challenge to the Oklahoma offense than, than what we saw last week from the Nebraska offense versus the Oklahoma defense. When you look at what's working for Kansas State, their front seven is definitely working. This is a, a powerful, legitimately good front seven. Through three games, they've got seven quarterback sacks. Through three games, they've got 24 tackles for loss. The linebacker, Austin Moore, he's got 19 total tackles. This What Oklahoma's defense is doing to their opponents by getting into the backfield, by wreaking some havoc, by busting up plays, by bringing down ball carries, blowing up bubble screens, all those things that you're seeing Oklahoma do on a regular basis to their opponents to the three games, you're also seeing that from Kansas State. This is a good defense. They forced turnovers, seven interceptions on the season. They've got three players. Kansas State has three players with multiple interceptions. So you got a total of four players with at least one interception. If you got three guys with multiple, that means you got three players with two interceptions. One player with one interception. Math sometimes doesn't have to be hard. Kobe Savage, which what an awesome name, right? 
I don't know if that's been talked about at local radio or other podcasts, but the safety, Kobe Savage, wow, that dude has a football name. 12 total tackles on the season. He's number two on the team in total tackles. He's got two interceptions. So the front seven's really good. They turn the ball over. And, and the, reason, the reason they're getting the turnovers is because they're forcing quarterbacks to make bad decisions. You bring the pressure, the quarterback makes a bad decision. And they've been really, really good at that. Guys, you have, you have to think this is a good defense. You, you can't come in to this game thinking, well, they lost it to Lane. They can't be that good. I don't think they lost it to Lane because of the way they play on their side of the ball. I think they lost it to Lane because of what Adrian Martinez and what he, he, that side of the ball is doing. But when you talk about this defense, I, I, I think you have to I think you have to give them their credit. And if Oklahoma goes out and dominates in the same fashion that the offense did, excuse me, the defense did last week against Nebraska, if Oklahoma's offense goes out and dominates this Kansas State defense, that's good news for you as Joe Sooner fan. That, that means that, that just like the Sooner defense last week, the Sooner offense faced a big test before the Texas game. And they passed it. Now, you still got the road trip to TCU before the Texas game, but you get my point here. Balance is going to be key for Jeff Lebby in this offense. And, and we've talked about balance. I don't want to beat the dead horse here, but we've talked about balance. If you've got balance, if you can run the ball and throw the ball equally well, then you got your access to your full playbook. So that means guys like Eric Gray and Marcus Major and this offensive line are going to be crucial. They're going to be huge to Oklahoma's success on Saturday. The team will go as far as Marcus Major and Eric Gray literally carry them. Last week, Tulane wasn't great offensively, but they were just good enough. They averaged four yards per carry against this Wildcat defense. Four yards per carry will get the job done. Tulane sneaks out of Manhattan with a 17-10 win. But I, I would caution Oklahoma fans to remember Kansas State has lost the week before Oklahoma. And they've come to Norman or they've been in Manhattan and they won their game against the Sooners. Do you remember when they lost to Arkansas State? Do you remember when they lost to TCU? And what they do the next week? They upset Oklahoma. I don't know that you can put a lot of stock into the Tulane loss last week. Now, I get it. I get what you're saying. I get it. This is a different team. This is Brent Venables. This isn't Lincoln Riley. There's a new mentality. There's a new way of of preparing for games. There's a new method. I get all of that. But I still think this Kansas State team could be dangerous. And Eric Gray and Marcus Major become your key factors. And last week was the first time, honestly, in my opinion, last week was the first time Marcus Major stood out head and shoulders 
Sorry, I'm saying that backwards. Last week was the first time Eric Gray stood out head and shoulders above Marcus Major. Until last week, you kept you kept thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Eric Gray was good with his touches, but dang, Marcus Major really took advantage. And Marcus Major still scored twice last week. One on the ground, one through the air. But but Eric Gray put distance between him and Marcus Major last week in Nebraska. Eric Gray's got 286 rushing yards on the season, 7.7 yards per carry. Marcus Major's got 120. I mean, he's not bad. 127 rushing yards on the season, 5.3 yards per carry. The only advantage right now Marcus Major has over Eric Gray is the four touchdowns to two for Eric Gray. And both of Eric Gray's came last week in Lincoln. I think I, I think I can confidently say that Marcus Major has scored a touchdown every game this season so far for the Sooners. And so these guys are going to be big. They're going to be crucial. They're going to be they're going to be an important part to what happens because if they get if if they're able to get success, if they're able to get four plus yards per carry on average, what that's going to do is it's really going to free up guys like Braden Willis and Daniel Parker to do their job. And I, that's who I would look for to have the big game. Or I guess the big games. And and remember what I said after the Nebraska game. We saw Braden Willis and Daniel Parker on the field together for the very first time last week in Lincoln. Not because, not because they were needed to be on the field at the same time. I'm pretty confident on the Braden Willis touchdown pass to Marcus Major. Daniel Parker was there on the field with him as well. So it's not like they were doing something special with these two guys. That was a trick play. They threw them out there for a trick play. But they put them out there to kind of get Kansas State to pay attention to the way they're going to have to defend. This is a pretty bold and smart. It's not really bold. It's a smart move by Jeff Levy. The week before the game, when you know your running backs are going to have to have a good game, give the defense something else that they've got to break film down on and scheme for. So now you can't just break down Marcus Major. Now you can't just break down Eric Gray and all those trends. If 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 Daniel Parker and Braden Willis are in the game with Marcus Major, you got to look for the throwback or the double pass. So there's all these different things that safety's got to watch for Marcus Major coming out of the backfield or the linebacker, whoever's got coverage on him. That's just one new wrinkle that hasn't been shown yet that they had to spend time this week breaking down film on and scheming for. And now you go out there and you, and you run some plays with them. And, and man, how cool would it be? Because we haven't seen this yet. We haven't seen Eric Gray and Marcus Major together. Maybe that's coming on Saturday. Because you're you're ready for you're ready for Braden Willis and Daniel Parker together and what could possibly happen with that combo. What happens when you put Eric Gray and Marcus Major together? Because we haven't seen that portion of the playbook. So there's your players to watch. I, I think you gotta you gotta look at Eric Gray, Marcus Major to get four yards per carry on average. And then you got to look for Braden Willis and Daniel Parker just to make some things happen. 
And those, I mean, I, I would not be surprised, honestly, when you when it comes to significant catches like third down conversions, red zone catches. Maybe just in general, wouldn't be surprised at all if Braden Willis, Daniel Parker, one of those two guys, leads the Sooners. Hey, I think when you're breaking down the Kansas State offense, it's a little bit easier to consider and to see what's not working than it is when you're trying to break down their defense. Just one more time for the road, let me just say that defense for Kansas State looks to be really good. But I, I think when you start with this offense, you, 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 have to, you have to start with what's not working. And what's not working for Kansas State is Adrian Martinez. This isn't the same quarterback that we saw with Nebraska last year. And I, I don't know if it's some, a different mindset. I don't know if it's different skill personnel. Um, I don't know if it's different schematics. But he's not the same quarterback that Oklahoma saw give them trouble last year. Remember last year, Norman, he made some timely throws. And Norman, last year, he made some timely runs. But through three games this year, three games, guys, 304 passing yards. That's not per game. That's total. 304 passing yards through three games. 150 rushing yards through three games. Three total touchdowns through three games. Only one of those touchdowns came through the air, by the way. 3.8 yards per carry, 4.6 yards per pass attempt. I mean, th- this guy's not the same guy that we saw in Norman, or at least hasn't been through the first three weeks of the season. And Malik Knowles is still, it's not like he's not surrounded by talent. I mean, Malik Knowles was, was all preseason, all conference. This is a guy that a lot of people touted as one of the best, if not the best receivers in the Big 12. He's still there. He's still dangerous. He's only caught 10 passes this season for 92 yards. But the guy, I mean, the guy can make plays. He's got one rush this year for like a 70-something yard touchdown. The guy can make plays. He really can. So it's, it's not, again, it's not like he doesn't have playmakers around him. He's got the number one running back right now in the Big 12 in the backfield with him. Just for some reason, it's just not clicking. Maybe it's the offensive line. They've, they've given up four sacks in three games. That's not terrible. I mean, I think Dylan Gabriel has been sacked seven times in, in three games. So I, I don't know. But maybe it's the offensive line and communication and lack of trust. Here, but here's what I think it is. I mean, I'm, I'm just throwing out a possibility. But here's what I think it might honestly be. Martinez was a turnover machine in Nebraska. When he was running plays for Scott Frost, he was a turnover machine. And, and I think since coming to Manhattan, Coach Kleiman is like, dude, we don't turn the ball over like that here. We don't take those risks here. That's not what we're about. You make the sure pass, not the dangerous pass. And I think mentally, he's focused on not fumbling. Mentally, he's focused on not throwing an interception. 
And he's stopped gambling. He has stopped being that dangerous quarterback who could beat you with his arm or his leg. I think the potential is still there. I think the talent around him is still there. But the mentality of being afraid to turn the ball over has changed him as a player. That's why he's looking short. That's why he's only averaging 4.6 yards per pass. That's why he's waiting to scramble and not doing as much run first type stuff. That's why he's only averaging 3.8 yards per carry. When you look at what's not working for this Kansas State offense, it is firmly in the hands of the quarterback. I mean, there's you've watched him probably. I've watched him. We've seen this offense stall out. You saw stall out time and time and time again against Tulane last week. Now, they're averaging 28 points per game. By the way, the defense is only giving up 9.7 points per game, which is three-tenths of a point better than what Oklahoma is allowing at 10 points per game. But they're averaging 354.7 yards of total offense as opposed to 500 that Oklahoma is averaging. And this is what kills me, man. Through the air, 115.3 yards per game through the air. 147.7, excuse me, 239.3 is what they're doing on the ground. And that shows you what is working for this this Kansas State offense. What is working for Kansas State is Deuce Vaughn, and it's working very well. 352 total rushing yards on the season. He is the top running back in the Big 12 right now. 5.7 yards per carry. He's got three rushing touchdowns on the season. I mean, he's the focus of this defense. He's the guy that Ted Riff and Brent Venables are scheming to stop. And because he's a smaller back, because of the speed he has, because of the shiftiness that he has, the angle and the pad level they really, really matter in this game. If you take a bad angle on Deuce Vaughn, he's going to make you pay for it. I mean, if you take a bad angle on him, he's going to cut or he's going to ex- accelerate one of the two, and he's going to make you pay for taking a bad angle. He will expose you. And, and I think this is what Brent Venables was talking about a little bit last week with Jaron Kanick. When he said that yeah, he, he did a lot of good, but he did some bad. He's talking about angles. But this is not, I mean, this is for the defense as a total, in total. You got to get the right angle and you got to group tackle this guy. Right angle, group tackle. That's what you need to have. Like when you get him in your grasp, you can't let him go. You can't lunge at him and have your head down. You got to keep your eyes up. You got to see the target. You got to hit the target. You got to explode through the target. And you have to grab a hold of the target. And your pad level matters. One of the top rules in football is the low man wins. He's already naturally low. And he's strong. He's got low center of gravity. He's got strength in his legs. You hit him up high. You go above him. You're not bringing him down. You got to get your pad level down. And that's what scares me in terms of what this defense might accidentally do. 
Because to this point of the season, it's been really good in terms of bringing down ball carriers. Guy catches a pass in front of a defender. The defender brings him down or holds on to him until help comes and brings him down. You haven't seen a lot of whiffs. You haven't seen a lot of lunging. You haven't seen a lot of hand tackling. You've seen good technique. So what scares me a little bit about this is if you can't get your pad level down, I mean, it could turn bad. It could turn bad in a hurry. Because where you think you got him for a one-yard gain or you think you got him behind the line of scrimmage, suddenly he's 5, 10, 15 yards down the field just because your your pad level wasn't right. So, so I think you, you you look at what's not working for this offense, and it's clearly Adrian Martinez, the passing game, Adrian Martinez, and the running game. And you look at what is working, and that's Deuce Vaughn, and what you have to do to stop Deuce Vaughn. But here's what's crazy is that you still have to be careful. Adrian Martinez hasn't worked to this point, but you have to you have to game plan as if he has. Because he has just enough talent that if it suddenly it clicks, suddenly he decides he's gonna take a risk, suddenly he decides he's gonna gamble, then he can hurt you. Malik Knowles is still a talented, talented receiver. Still one of the best in the Big 12. So while you can look through three games and say, well, this just hasn't been working well for Kansas State, you can't abandon defending that. So your secondary, they've got to stay at home. Your secondary, they have to do their assignments and not focus on the run. Because the very last thing you want is a safety or a corner looking in the backfield as a receiver runs by. Especially that receiver's Malik Knowles. So that means you got to trust the front seven. You got to trust this, this defensive line. You got to trust the three linebackers. And I think the guys that get put in the spotlight with this defense are the three linebackers David Aguebu, Danny Stutzman, Deshaun White. One of those three guys, I'm saying it right now, making my prediction, 10.07 p.m. on the 22nd of September. One of those three guys, David Aguebu, Danny Stutzman, Deshaun White, one of those three guys will be Oklahoma's leading tackler. Because they're going to draw the assignment of making sure that Deuce Vaughn is taken care of. Making sure that Deuce Vaughn is accounted for. Making sure that Deuce Vaughn is taken to the ground. So there you have it for the offense and for the defense. I got three keys to the game, and then we're going to do the Big 12 rundown. One game's already complete in the Big 12. All right, here we go. Three keys to the game plus uh, two true or false questions and um, shorter shorter episode of true or false this week because I spent 20 minutes ranting about Oklahoma State, ranting about Oklahoma. But, yeah, it is what it is. Um, three keys. Here we go. First and foremost, you got to win the line of scrimmage both sides of the ball. I think this will be easier for the defense to do, and and this is will be a, a like I said earlier a really really good test for Oklahoma's offensive line. It's going to be a really good test on the decision making of Dylan Gabriel. It's going to be a really good test in general for these running backs. How can they get those tough tough yards? And so you got to win the line of the scrimmage, and by doing so, what, what I mean by that is you keep Dylan Gabriel upright. You had seven sacks on the season. Uh, that that means you're they're averaging a little bit more than two sacks per game. 
I think if you hold to that average, it's a win for Oklahoma. But you also got to avoid those. You you've got to avoid those costly plays in which a ball carry gets brought down four yards behind the line of scrimmage. It's not just quarterback sacks. So keeping Dylan Gabriel upright, that's important. That's really important. But losing, I mean, losing a, a ball carrier four yards behind the line of scrimmage, I mean, that's that's just that's the same as a quarterback sack. Because it puts you behind the chains. And this team prides itself on bringing down ball carriers behind the line of scrimmage. So you got to win. You got to win at the point of attack on both sides of the ball. I think easier said than done defensively than offensively. And so you put the key on that offensive line to win their battles. And at points when it's necessary, get to that second level. We talked extensively about Deuce Vaughn in the last segment. I think he becomes a critical point in Oklahoma's game plan just in containing him. I think ultimately at the end of the day, Deuce Vaughn's going to get some good numbers. I think he's going to um I I think he's going to average upwards of 4 yards per carry against Oklahoma. But you can't let him have those big plays. You can't let him have those big chunk yardage plays and you got to make sure you watch for him on, on passing, on second and long, third and long. You can't lose him because he can be equally as dangerous catching a pass in the flat or to the edge. Tulane held him to a season-low 4.1 yards per carry last week. That's, there's your recipe. I mean, if you're looking for a roadmap to beat this team, it starts with Deuce Vaughn. 4.1 yards per carry seems to be what you need in order to beat him. And then last, you know, the third key is, um, well, I mean, it's kind of Captain Obvious. Don't turn the ball over. Oklahoma's been very good at not turning the ball over. Now, now Davis Bevel bobbled it last week in Lincoln. I'm going to go ahead and say that doesn't count because that was garbage time. So when the game was on the when the game was on the line, when plays mattered, Oklahoma has yet to turn the ball over. That's very good. That's that's great news for Oklahoma fans because that's exactly what you want. We've talked on past podcasts what it means to turn the ball over as far as the momentum, not just for your team, but for the other team. You don't want to give them momentum. You want it to stay on your side. You're at home. It's at night. Those LED lights are going to be flashing and going crazy. Don't turn the ball over. Keep the momentum on your side. I think if Oklahoma does those three things, they're going to be okay. I do have a score prediction I'm going to throw at you here in just a minute when we do the Big 12 rundown, but I think those three those three are the most important things that Oklahoma can do on, on Saturday. All right, two, uh, two true or false questions. Uh, Steve says, hey, true or false, Deshaun White was better than Jaron Kanek last week before he got ejected. Um, Steve, look, man, I, I yes and no. Can we say that? Because Kanek ended up leading the team with 10 tackles, but we you saw what Brent Venable said after the game. Deshaun White was good. He was really good. And and what I was worried about with Deshaun White in this cheetah position was how he would handle pass protection. I mean, pass uh, passing responsibilities. Could he cover? And he did. 
mean, he was looking the part. He just got a little bit crazy with the shot on Casey Thompson and that cost him. I don't think Jaron Kinnick, I don't think that he displaced Deshaun White last week like some people have suspected. I'm not even certain that he earned more playing time over Deshaun White like some people have suspected. And, and, and I say that because of what Britt Venable said after the game. And I say that because of the value of being in the right place at the right time. That's, I mean, you have to be in the right place at the right time when you're facing Deuce Vaughn. And I think there's a lot more trust in Deshaun White than there is in a true freshman to do that. And as, for all the respect in the world that I have for Jaron Canick's athletic ability, he can't recover as quickly against Deuce Vaughn as he would those guys from Nebraska. Deuce Vaughn's better than any running back on the Nebraska roster. So he can't recover as quickly. So, um, I, look, I think, I think fundamentally, fundamentally, Steve, Deshaun White was better than Jaron Kanick last week. However, on the stat sheet, Jaron Kanick was better than Deshaun White. Can we go there? By the way, I, and I do feel like it's worth noting that uh, Deshaun White did have more solo tackles than what Jaron Kanick had. Um, all right, this is from Andrew True False. Um, OU is the top contender in the Big 12 heading into conference play. OU is the top contender in the Big 12 hold, heading into conference play. And Andrew, I think I'm going to agree with you, and I think I'm going to say this is true. I, I really think at this point, this isn't new ground for me. This isn't anything new uh, that I haven't said recently. Uh, and not with all due respect to Kansas uh, and what they're doing. And by the way, kudos to you. I mean, seriously, Kudos to you, Kansas, and, and go beat Duke this weekend. We're going to talk about you here in just a minute. I, I think there's three. I think there's three contenders and a dark horse in the Big 12. I, I, think, you're, I think your three contenders are Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas. Now, I, Baylor might have a chance to sneak in there. They might. I don't know that they will. I'm still not sold on Baylor. I'm still They, they did better than I did expect in the last week. Um. I, I'm just not there yet. I'm, I'm not ready to crown them as a contender, even though they are the defending Big 12 champs. But I think Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, and in that order, I, I think I'd rank them just like that. I think I would say Oklahoma's number one, Oklahoma State's number two, and Texas is number three. And and listen, that that's a big thing for me to admit because. I was just harsh on Oklahoma State at the onset of this podcast. I was harsh on Oklahoma State in our preseason power rankings and in our preseason position rankings. But Oklahoma State has exceeded expectation. They've scored the second most points in the Big 12. Offensively, they're, they're light years ahead of where I expected them to be. But I do think there's a dark horse out there. I think that dark horse is TCU. I mean, we'll see. I mean, Chandler Morris is out, but, you know, 
You got Max Duggan, and he's he's pretty good. And I think TCU, I mean, they've got to upset one of those three. They got to upset Oklahoma. They get them on their home field in a week from Saturday. But they've got to upset Oklahoma. They've got to upset Oklahoma State, or they've got to upset Texas. And if they can pull one of those off, I, I think they have a shot to get to Arlington on December 3rd. So TCU, they get my Dark Horse Award. But yeah, Andrew, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And uh, speaking of TCU, let's talk about the Big 12 and, and run down this weekend's games. All right, one game already complete as the Big 12 heads into week four of the college football season. West Virginia getting a win in Blacksburg over the Virginia Tech Hokies, 33-10. to um, Obviously, I didn't have a chance to break down this game before I recorded the podcast, but I, I do. I will tell you this. I wouldn't have broken it down like this. I wouldn't have broken it down with West Virginia being a 23-point victor over Virginia Tech. Not that I believe in Virginia Tech. I think they're a bad football team, but also I'm not really sold in West Virginia. I had them number 10 in my power rankings this last week. 33 to 10. This was a, a tight game at the half. It was, I think, 13 to 7. And then West Virginia outscores them 20 to 3 over the final 30 minutes of that game. I I think I would have, I, honestly, I think I'm just being being transparent here. I think I would have edged out Virginia Tech in a, in, a, in a very close, tight win in that game. So I would have been 100% wrong. 11 a.m. ESPN 2, Baylor goes to Iowa State. The Bears, number 17 in the country, 2-1 and one on the season. They're, they're a two-and-a-half-point dog against undefeated Iowa State. And now the Cyclones looked a little bit better last week. And I, I, I can't figure out either one of these teams. I mean, this is going to tell us a lot. The over-under here is 45-and-a-half. Um, here, here's the way I would take this game. Honestly, I think I would take the over on the 45 and a half. And I think I would take Baylor winning it outright. Baylor's already, if you think about it, they've already gone to Provo. They lost to They lost to BYU, but they lost in over, I mean, in overtime. So, I mean, they, they've played, they've been challenged on the road. So I don't know going into Ames, not that Ames is, is an easy place to go to, I just don't know that there's going to be a lot of reason for Baylor to to be apprehensive about this crowd. I think Baylor's probably the more physical of the two teams. I think it's a close game. I think it's a tight game. I can see this being like a 27, 24, 26, 23 type win for the Bears. I can see it being like 26, 25 even. I mean, I think it's a close game. I think it's a defensive game. I think it's a very physical game. If you like physical football... I think this is a game you're going to want to watch. Another fun game could be TCU at SMU. Again, my dark horse, the, the Horned Frogs, two-point favorite. The over-under this game, 70 and a half points. 70 and a half points. I think this game easily gets into the 60s. I don't know that it reaches 71. I think I would stay away from that over-under, but if I had to, I would go with the under. I think TCU covers as a as a two-point favorite. I think I like them to cover this. I almost have to pick them to cover because you know they are my dark horse in the Big 12. But outside of that, putting that putting that aside, I still think uh I still think I like I like TCU in this game. Uh like Tanner Mordecai's 1,013 passing yards, 10 touchdowns already on the season through three games. 
Uh, that's great. I mean, I'm loving it for Tanner Mordecai, the former Sooner, but SMU is not doing great on defense. I think TCU. I think TCU walks away with this, um, maybe like a, a four to five point win, which clearly covers that two point spread. So I, I think this is a fun game. This is a game I'm I'm going to be this my 11 a.m. game is going to be TCU SMU with peeking in on Baylor Iowa State peeking in on Duke in Kansas. By the way, Duke in Kansas, the Jayhawks. How about this? The Jayhawks are seven point favorites. They're a one touchdown favorite over undefeated Duke. Man, this isn't a basketball game, but it sure could be, and it would be a fun basketball game. This is a football game at a sold-out Memorial Stadium in Lawrence, Kansas. A sold-out Memorial Stadium, guys. That's, that's nuts right there. I'm really happy for Lance Leopold. I'm really happy for what's happening in, in Kansas with his football program. I don't think they cover. I don't think they cover this spread. I, I don't have confidence. I don't have confidence in picking them to, to win by more than a touchdown. I have confidence in the over 65 and a half. I have confidence in the over for sure. When you look at these two teams, but I, I don't, I, I think Kansas ultimately wins this game, but I think it's a fun battle throughout where the Jayhawks win by maybe a touchdown or less. Field goal, four points, somewhere around there. So I don't have the confidence in Kansas at this point to pick them in this big of a game. Fox Sports 1, national television. Yeah, give me Duke to cover that seven-point spread on the road as as an underdog. Afternoon game, I'm probably not going to get to finish this before I head to Norman, but, I mean, this really intrigues me. Texas going to Texas Tech. Both of these teams are um, two and one on the season. Texas, number twenty-two in the nation, seven point un, excuse me, seven point favorites. Sixty-one is the point spread here. I would take the under on that point spread. Just throwing that out there. But would I take Texas being a seven-point favorite on the road? No, no, I wouldn't. I'm not saying Texas is going to lose this game. I, I think Texas Tech has enough athleticism on offense. I think there's questions still on the Texas offensive side of the ball with Quinn Ewers out. I think you stack that box. Now, you know, hey, B. John Robinson's not going to beat us. If 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 we if we lose this game, which we probably will, it's not going to be because B. John Robinson ran for 300 yards. To, to beat us on our home field, by the way, the crazy things happen in Lubbock. I mean, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to deny that, right? But to beat us on our home field, Hudson Card's going to have to do that. He's going to have to take you home. And by the way, Hudson Card has been sacked five times. He's been sacked five times. This year. Yikes. So I, I think Texas ultimately wins this game. But I, I think I think it's there's enough there from Texas Tech to be in it at the very end. There's enough there to kind of for the people like me who just can't stand anything burnt orange. 
I think there's enough there for for to get your hopes up, to get anticipation up. But at the end of the day, I think Texas breaks Texas Tech's heart. All right, here we go. Uh, the big game, the one you're tuning in to talk about, Kansas State at Oklahoma. The Wildcats 2-1, and one, Oklahoma 3-0, and oh, number six in the nation. Again, ESPN's matchup predictor gives Oklahoma an 84.3% chance to win this game. The Sooners are 12.5-point favorites. The over-under on this game is 53. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I am more confident in my prediction against the over-under than I am my prediction against the spread. But regardless, uh, let me tell you, here it is. Give me the under. Give me the under on the 53. And give me Kansas State not to win. Not to win. But give me Kansas State to lose by less than 13 points. I I see this. Here's my score prediction. I see this as a 30 to 20 final. I, I think turnovers become an become a factor here. I think special teams become a factor here. I think the game slows down with Deuce Vaughn and it keeps Oklahoma's offense from scoring a bang load of points. Um, pace of play and the style of defense at Kansas State, this will be the lowest scoring output, output for Oklahoma this season. But I think at the end of the day, the Sooners get a 10-point win at home over the Wildcats, 30-20. to 20. That's my prediction. Tell me how crazy I am. I'd love to hear it from you anyway. Uh, enjoy the game. Enjoy your weekend in college football. We'll be back on Sunday to break it down and, and everything else that happened in the Big 12 and across the nation. Boomer Sooner, everybody.